Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a safe place for everyone no matter what your faith is or isn't. Reverend Angeles Wise is our host that firmly believes that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore the topics that can help you faith no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen and heal you and your faith. So, be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the show everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are blessed. Thank you. Infinite thanks for tuning into the show. If you're new to the show, welcome. It's great to have you with us. I hope and pray you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for returning and for being such a diehard member of the show. So this week's show was by request. My son Talon, or I should say Haven and my son Talon, uh, requested that I do a show on Padre Frey Tormenta. And you might be scratching your head wondering who that might be. Have you all seen the movie Nacho Libre with Jack Black? Yeah, I'm raising my hand. (laughs) It's uh, one of Mother Natalia from uh, What God Is Not podcast. It's one of her favorite movies. Is It's about a priest who, um, or say a monk, who works at an orphanage or is part of the orphanage. And it's a very poor orphanage. So he becomes a masked, excuse me, masked wrestler in Mexico and begins to wrestle. And taking the money that he earns from wrestling, he supports the... Um, orphanage and the orphans and it's based on a true story and that person is Padre Frey Tormenta so we're going to be learning about him today so of course the article that I'm reading from will be linked in the show notes and descriptions and the the title of it is addict priest luchador the unbelievable life of Frey Tormenta Padre Frey Tormenta has inspired films and wrestled all over the world, but he never sought out fame. All he wanted was to support the orphans of his parish. Padre Frey Tormenta lingers in the courtyard in front of his church on a cool Sunday morning in December. The day's first mass has just let out, and he is passing time before the second, basking for a moment in the sunlight and greeting members of his congregation as they make their way inside. This is a humble neighborhood, and nobody is especially dressed up, not even the church itself, a small 17th century building tucked off a main street. Its yellow exterior is slowly chipping away, and the high interior walls are stark white and mostly unadorned. The Padre moves in, that deliberate priestly way gliding in his purple robe with one group to another smiling at old ladies and singing signing excuse me autographs for children he's very compassionate says a middle-aged woman named sophia who has just exited the early mass he helps everybody so much the truth is he's reached out his hand to us and for that reason everybody loves him when the crowd outside begins to thin, he disappears into his office and reemerges a few moments later wearing a yellow and red Lucha Libre mask in addition to his vestments, trailed by two altar boys wearing tattered cassocks over their blue jeans. He makes his way back across the courtyard through the large church doors and down the aisle to the lectern. He has the manner of a showman and could just as easily be entering the arena of Mexico the 15,000-seat Cathedral of Lucha Libre in Mexico City, accompanied by valets on his way to the ring. But this is not the arena. In theory, a priest wearing a Lucha Libre mask sounds strange, but in the case of Padre Frey Tormenta, it looks and feels completely normal, perhaps because he designed the mask himself. 
The yellow, he says, is for the liveliness that Frey Tormenta must display in the ring. And the red is for the blood that Frey Tormenta must spill on behalf of his orphanage. Standing before a dozen rows of full pews, the crowd spilling out into the courtyard, the Padre makes a show of removing the mask and folding it ceremoniously. He takes a deep breath and begins in a quiet voice with the liturgy. So yes, he, he wears his luchador mask to service, but of course he takes it off once he's in there, which is very strange because of those of you who are familiar with uh, uh, Mexican history, especially those of the luchador, uh, once you don a mask, it, that mask is to be on you all the time when you're in public. Uh, however, he has retired, you know, Padre has retired from wrestling. He does some exhibition matches here and there, but he's retired since. But he still likes to make the entrance with the mask as it's definitely part and parcel of who he is. The next day, sitting in his spare office in the parish, his body seemingly held together only by stubbornness, Padre Frey Tormenta recalls the moment 40 years ago when he had at last decided to take his final vows and become ordained. He had just been called back to Mexico after seven years of seminary in Spain and Italy. He had not yet opened his orphanage and had not yet become a star of Lucha Libre known throughout Mexico as a living, breathing folktale, and known abroad as a true story behind two movies, the priest who literally fights for orphans in his care. Back then, he was merely Sergio Gutierrez, a seminarian with second thoughts about the priesthood. He was working as a lay minister in Veracruz, a port city on the Gulf of Mexico, and had been assigned to pray the rosary at a parish in a rundown neighborhood by the beach. The parish was full of drogadictos, prostatitos, yet When he finished the rosary and went outside, he found that while he had been praying, some of those very junkies, sex workers, and juvenile delinquents had filled the inside of his car with sand. Who did this, he asked the group. Then the parishioner made him an unexpected offer. Fight for their respect. If Sergio was willing to fight one of them, they would welcome him into their community. But if not, he should get the hell out and not come back. If I fight, what would people think? Padre Tormenta remembers asking himself. But if I don't fight... At this point in the telling, Padre Frey Tormenta leans back in his chair as if savoring the moment. His life, at least as he recalls it, moves in the grand gestures of a magical realist novel. Everything is a metaphor, and the precise details of his autobiography are as fluid as the memories of an old man. The desk where he sits has become a sort of accidental monument to those memories, to a life that, even in progress, even bogged down in logistics of running a parish and an orphanage, has become a myth. Stuck between the glass top and the wooden surface is a collage of photos, schedules, financial records, business cards, and hand-scrolled phone numbers. Recently, the sense of heightened reality that surrounds the Padre has only been amplified as health problems have made the old priest and those around him increasingly cognizant of an end. Nearly 70 years old, he is diabetic, has cysts in both of his kidneys, and is losing his vision. In November, when he had surgery to remove a 13-pound tumor from his stomach, the doctors also had to yank out a section of his large intestine. Dramatic pause complete, Padre Tormenta crosses himself the same way he crossed himself at church that day in Veracruz. Forgive me, Father, but I'm going. He took a beating but he got some blows in too. And after the fight, he looked up at the other addicts and asked, who's next? This was a life-defining moment, but it was not the moment when Padre Sergio decided to take his final vows. Veracruz was where Hernan Cortez began his civilization, shattering March to 
Tenochtitlan in 1519, the march that would set Mexico on the irrevocable path of Catholicism. More than three centuries later, Veracruz was where American troops landed to retrace Cortez's steps on the way to conquering Mexico City, built on Tenochtitlan's ruins. They did so in a war that began over the question of Texas, the state where Salvador Luteroth, the father of Lucha Libre and founder of the Arena Mexico, was first exposed to professional wrestling in the 1930s. It's easy to see Catholicism and wrestling as simply colonial inheritances, but both institutions have been remade by Mexico in its own image. A decade after Cortez's troops killed the Moctezuma and conquered Tenochtitlan, a peasant named Juan Diego claimed to see an apparition of a woman on a hill north of the city. The woman spoke to him in his native Nahutl and identified herself as the Virgin Mary. A few days later, her image appeared on his cloak. Catholicism was, or excuse me, may have been an import, but this was an indigenous miracle resulting in an indigenous icon. The Virgin of Guadalupe was a decidedly new world vision of the familiar Mary. In present day Mexico, her image is ubiquitous, seen on bumper stickers, baseball hats, church walls, billboards, rendered in a million different ways by artists across the country. Worship of the Virgin Guadalupe. And it's one of the most visited holy sites in the world. In her book, The World of Lucha Libre, sociologist Heather Levi recalls another time the Virgin of Guadalupe appeared on a piece of fabric. It was in July 1962 when El Santo, the Saint Lucha Libre's greatest hero, made the switch from Rudo, villain, to Tecnico, which is hero. Lucha Libre, in its most essential form, is a constant replaying of the mortality tale, good versus evil. The pronounced difference between Rudos and Tecnicos is not just a convenient metaphor. It is the sport's central conceit and one of the aspects that separates Lucha Libre from American professional wrestling, where gray areas are more welcome. According to Levi, who relates the story secondhand, El Santo accomplished the transition by appearing in the arena with an image of the Virgin of Guadalupe on his silver cape. By the time Fray Tormenta began his career about 15 years later, Catholicism already was deeply entrenched in the ritualized world of Lucha Libre. At first you smoked to see what it felt like, then pills here and there, then cocaine, and from there all of it. Sergio went to school. He worked a few odd jobs to get by making pencils in a pencil factory, selling palatas at circus. But mostly he fought and got high. He says he has nearly 70 scars from the various beatings of his youth. He has been stabbed and he has been shot. One time a drunk hit him over the left eye with a bottle. His eyelid still droops because of it. During those years, Mexico City was growing fast. The population, which has now climbed to more than 20 million, was still only about 5 million people. But families like Sergio's were arriving in waves, one after another. They filled slums like Tres Estrellas, looking for work in an industrializing economy. Sergio could have been a character in Los Alavardadas, the Luis... Buñuel film that tells the story of a group of impoverished street kids who are doomed by their circumstances to a life of violence and tragedy. Filmed in the barrio, just like Tres Estrellas, only a couple of years before his family arrived in the capital. The film could have predicted Sergio's fate. When Sergio was about 20, one of his friends in the gang was murdered, and the police pegged him as the lead suspect. He didn't do it. He was getting drunk in a cantina when the murder occurred, but he had to prove that to the police. Going back to cantina and finding fellow drunks who could remember that he had actually been there. Not such an easy task for an addict who was perpetually high. This led to him going to a priest and asking for help. The priest told him, this isn't a rehab center. He came out of the confession, grabbed Sergio by the ear, and tossed him back onto the street. 
Standing outside the church, Sergio realized something. If there were cool priests, a lot of us would change. So he decided then to become a cool priest. <laughs> he went down to Tlapan, a borough in the south of the city, far from Trez, Australis, and entered a rehab facility. They strapped him to a bed and injected him with some kind of serum. They told him that here you don't get cured, you get detoxed. Curing, you have to do yourself. Sergio spent almost a week alone in a small room, hallucinating and screaming in agony as the poisons sweated out of his body, afraid the whole time that the light bulb hanging over his head was going to swallow him whole. He came out determined not just to get clean, but to get cured. To do that, he knew he would need to leave Tres Australius behind. As a drug addict, you know where the drugs are. You know who has the drugs. It's like crap, like excrement. You smell it. Sergio entered a seminary in Toluca, the capital of Mexico State, but he had not yet abandoned all his old habits. Within a week, he punched one of his fellow seminarians in the face. The fathers threw him out on the spot. How are you going to break a wild colt from night to morning, Padre Tormenta says now. And these days, he looks downright tame, compact and frail, with a neatly parted haircut. When remembering something, his small eyes recede almost completely into his face. When he needs to scroll through the contacts of his cell phone, he looks at it through a magnifying glass. But his speech is lively and peppered with street slang you don't expect to hear from a 69-year-old priest. He tried again soon after enrolling in a different seminary. This time it stuck. They sent him to study in Europe, Barcelona, then Navarra, and finally Rome, a different world entirely. He learned philosophy, theology, medicine, the psychology of juvenile delinquency. He came back to Mexico and the church sent him to Veracruz. That is the story as he told it to me, but that is not the only way Fray Tormenta has told it. In some versions, he played professional soccer for a year, or the priest didn't throw him out but encouraged him to go to seminary, or better yet, young Sergio wandered into a church while high on one drug or another and had a vision of himself as a priest standing before the pews, and only then decided to get clean and join the clergy. One popular legend about Fray Tormenta is that he received specific permission from the Vatican to be a luchador. This he denies, but in other interviews, he has mentioned that he received the blessing of Pope John Paul II. It was one of the times that Pope John Paul II visited, he told Mexican journalist Antonio Esquivel Bernal. They invited us to a meal, and during that visit, he went around saying hello to everyone. When he came to me, I introduced myself. I'm Father Sergio and also Fray Tormenta. He smiled and said he wished there were many Fray Tormentas in the world. I answered smiling, no, sir, because then all the churches would cease to exist. He placed his hand on me and gave me his blessing. He has recounted his life so many times that it's difficult to blame him for changing things up and massaging the facts on occasion. He's a performer, after all, and knows how to tell his story so that it most effectively reaches a particular audience. His life has become an allegorical as one of the Bible stories he might expound on in a sermon. Fray Tormenta is a character Padre Sergio plays, but he is also exactly who Padre Sergio is. When the church phone rings, for example, he tells the person on the other end, you are speaking to Padre Fray Tormenta. He does this even though it is clearly a wrong number. But of course he intended it. This is the story of the moment young Sergio Gutierrez decided to take his final vows and become a priest, which is also the beginning of the story of how he became a luchador. In Veracruz, Sergio found a home in the parish full of junkies, sex workers, and delinquents. He had some musical experience and helped some of the parishioners form a band to play at churches and parties. The band was a moderate success, although a priest once stopped them from playing at a mass because one of the musicians, a teenager named Pinguana, or Pinguano, reeked of marijuana 
But that was all right. Marijuana was not so bad. At least Sergio was giving them structure. Things were going well until one day, Pinguano took too much of something. Sergio found him in a bad shape and loaded him into his car to take him to the hospital. Certain this was the end, Pinguano asked Sergio to pull the car over and hear his confession. Sergio told him that he could not do such a thing. He was not ordained, so he was not allowed to hear confessions or read last rites. Hear my confession, Pinguano said. We're not going to make it. I can't. Ask God for forgiveness, Sergio said. God will forgive you for healing it. Hearing it, excuse me. So here Padre pauses and starts to fumble through some magazine clippings. And he hesitates. There's a long silence. His red and yellow mask rests folded on the side table. He's 40 years removed from the day in the question, but he chokes up. The boy died right there in his arms. Three days after the funeral, Sergio decided that he would take his formal vows. The priest asked if he wanted to be ordained into the cathedral in Veracruz, but Sergio said no. He wanted to be ordained in the rundown church. And the bishop ordained me as a priest on May 26th, 1973, at one in the afternoon among prostitutes, drug addictos, and delinquents. Soon after that, he began to take in orphans. First one arrived, then another, then another. Within a year, he was housing a dozen boys at the parish and wherever else he could, struggling to feed them. He was teaching them music running two separate bands when word came down that he had been transferred to another church 150 miles away in Pablo. When he went to Pablo, the boys followed him. Padre Sergio continued to care for the boys in the Pueblo until higher-ups asked him to give up the orphanage. He took the advice of fellow priests. He left Pueblo for a diocese that would accept his works. He found such a place in Texcoco, the quiet city in Mexico State, where he still lives. He and the boys were welcomed there, but the diocese would not take on any of the costs of the orphanage. Padre, Padre Sergio would have to figure out that himself. And from there, he says, arises Fray Mortenta. Excuse me, Fray Tormenta. <laughs> They say there are no original stories, that since biblical times we've been telling the same ones over and over, even the story of Fray Tormenta, the wrestling priest, a story that itself inspired the Jack Black movie Nacho Libre, and before that a lesser-known French film starring Jean Reno called The Man in the Golden Mask is borrowed. It is borrowed, as it turns out, from another movie, a low-budget Mexican film from 1963 called El Señor Tormenta, about, as you might imagine, a priest who begins a secret Lucha Libre career in order to raise money for starving orphans in his care. The movie was part of a tide of luchador films that swept Mexico from the 1950s through 1970s. And I might interject, my son has several copies of many movies from those days with the, with, uh, the Lucha Libre stars, um, and it's it's, they're amazing. They're amazing movies. They are so, so much fun to watch um, uh, these luchadors who are playing heroes and, and wrestlers in these, in these movies. The country's most iconic wrestlers, El Santo and Blue Demon, gained the greatest fame as movie stars fighting zombies, aliens, and vampires. And we've got some of these at home. I highly recommend them, folks. Even if you're not into Lucha Libre stuff, it's fun. It, it's really, really cool stuff. El Señor Tormenta was a minor wrestling film. It did feature a couple of big names, Black Shadow and the Carvano Galindo. He dressed as a caveman, <laughs> but only in supporting parts. What makes the movie special is that it came true. I said to myself, Padre Tormenta recalls, I'm going to carry this thing out. 
This was the tail end of the era of when wrestling stars in Mexico were also transcendent celebrities, pop culture icons on the level of actors and musicians. Hurricane Ramirez and Mil Mascaris, Tenebles and Rio de Jalisco, St. Padre Sergio took his name and his image from the movie. He had dollar signs in his eyes, but not for himself. I thought that I was going to earn like Cassius Clay or Oscar de la Hoya. He says his vision was of expanding or at least sustaining the orphanage. For a year, Padre Sergio woke at 4.30 every morning and traveled an hour each way from Texcoco to a gym in Mexico City where he learned the art of Lucha Libre. He had to be back by 8 a.m. to celebrate the Mass. His earnings from the, his first fight were 200 pesos. At the time, about 10 American dollars. And so it went. He was not exactly making Cassius Clay or El Santo money, but he was not ready to give up yet either. He fought on small cards around Texcoco and gradually built up a following. All the while, he was re-entering a world of vice he had left behind long ago. Lucha Libre might be a black-and-white morality tale in the ring, but behind the scenes, the sport is fertile ground for every kind of habit. Drugs, sex, booze, all of it. Locker room talk is not exactly Sunday school material. The luchador's dressing room is generally mayhem, says a longtime wrestler named Atlantis. There's a lot of swearing, but he got used to it. The bishop in Texcoco, however, was not impressed and demanded that the Padre give up Lucha Libre. It was unbecoming. Padre Tormenta's arguments fell on deaf ears until finally he decided to put some of the showmanship he had learned in the ring to use. He decided to bluff. He told the bishop that he would happily give up Lucha Libre if the diocese would give his orphanage the money he was earning in the ring. The bishop, under the impression that he was making a fortune, relented. Be careful, he said. It's easy to see why a bishop might have objected, especially to the ease with which Fray Mort Tormenta incorporated religious ritual and symbolism into Lucha Libre. It would be one thing for a layperson to perform as a wrestling priest character. It's altogether different when the man behind the mask inside the red and yellow spandex is actually a priest. El Santo, after all, was not an actual saint. Fray Tormenta had a finishing move called La, La Confessora, the Confessor, <laughs> a submission hold that ended with his opponent lying face down, arms and legs yanked behind him and screaming in agony for mercy. He was regularly pitted against opponents with names like El Satanico, El Hijo de Diablo, and Judas. As easily as he brought religion into Lucha Libre, Fray Tormenta brought Lucha Libre into his work as a priest. He began to minister regularly to fellow luchadors. Sometimes reality and fiction blended, such as when he celebrated masses at the Arena Mexico or gave the priestly blessings to Mystico, a contemporary Lucha Libre superstar that Padre Tormenta had helped train. But mostly Padre Tormenta's ministry was straightforward. Padre Sergio fell by the wayside as more and more of his parishioners began to call him Padre Tormenta, or simply El Frey. If his identity as a luchador was ever secret, accounts conflict, the secret was not kept long. With his wrestling earnings, he was able to buy an actual building to house some of the boys known affectionately as the Cachorros, or Cubs. He spent the 1980s pouring everything he had into the orphanage, continuing to live in poverty even as his profile grew, yellow in his mask for the liveliness inside and now outside of the ring, red for the blood spilled, the boys would receive training in Lucha Libre and three square meals a day as well as a chance to make something of themselves, even if not all of them would. In 1991, The Man in the Golden Mask premiered and Frey Tormenta got a chunk of cash for the rights to his life story. 
he used to build a brick-and-mortar orphanage in his home state of Hidalgo, which has since burned down in a fire set accidentally by one of the boys. When Nacho Libre premiered in 2006, he did the same thing, but in Texcoco. As long as I've been a priest for 42 years, I've worn a rubber band, says Padre Tormenta, leaning over his desk, because the laws of the church should be like a rubber band. He rolls up his sleeve. He is wearing pinstripe dress slacks and a red University of Oklahoma sweatshirt and tugs at the rubber band dangling from his wrist, stretching it out and holding it taut. The wrestling priest, of course, is comfortable stretching rules. It comes with the territory of being a sacerdoto chido, the kind of priest he set out to be 50 years ago when he was still just an attic street criminal. Most of the rules Padre Tormenta breaks are simple ones. Some priests have criticized him, for example, for singing mariachi songs in church. But he only does it after the liturgy, and besides, it makes the people happy. Isn't that awesome? Now, yeah, I'm going to interject here because this, this is how it should be. This is how church should be. When you go, it should be a celebration. It should be a happy time. It shouldn't be a monotone you know, cookie cutter, you know, service and, and droll and humdrum and monotone. It should be fun. It should be exciting. It should help get your mind off garbage in life and help uplift you, renew your spirits, rekindle that love in you for your faith and help you build your faith. And how could you not when you've got a priest that's wearing a luchador mask singing mariachi mu music? How can you be sad with mariachi music? That's like, you know, saying that you're you're sad when you when you hear a ukulele you can't be sad with ukulele music it's all it always makes you happy he says if jesus christ came down he would sing just like me <laughs> performance after all is an essential part of padre tormenta's identity the priesthood the wrestling career the music now that his health has abandoned him he will no longer be able to earn money for his boys in the ring. The Padre will have to leverage these skills and his fame to raise money however he can. Last year, he released a CD. Frey Tormenta sings for everyone with mariachi. After he makes sure I understand the Lucha Libre is a physically painful, as one could imagine, even for a person who has been shot, stabbed, hit over the head with a beer bottle, and kicked a drug habit, he expands on the theme of performance. It's circus, a much theater, as, excuse me, as much theater as it is sport. Then he gets up from the desk to show me. He has me pin his arm behind his back. Then he spins around and pins my arm behind my back in the same way. Then as we, me, I'll excuse me, then as I follow his motion, returning us to the original position, we cycle back and forth a few times, building into a rhythm the way two wrestlers might at the start of a match when they are just feeling each other out. Finally, when I am feeling good about my technique, pinning his arm back, be prepping, preparing for the next step in the dance, the old priest screams in agony, beginning to convulse and slaps his leg with his free arm. Horrified, I jump back. <laughs> the old man laughs. He was faking it. <laughs> Midway through the interview, Frey Tormenta asks if I want a tour of the church. We walk first through the windowless room beside his office, where a woman who helps out around the church and two of his cacharos are watching a dubbed version of the show Cheaters on an old television. Upstairs, he shows me two bedrooms, each cluttered wall to wall with bunk beds where some of his boys sleep. More than 2,000 have come through the doors. Beside one of the bedrooms is a kitchen overrun with flies. The refrigerator is mostly empty and bags of rice are piled high on a shelf in a corner. Resting on the dining table and leaning up on the wall is a heavy framed painting of the Virgin of Guadalupe. It fell down from the wall the day before. One of the boys tells Padre Tormenta, somebody will have to repair it soon. Across the room hangs another nearly identical painting of the Virgin. I want to know, or excuse me, I want you to know that I never sought fame out, Frey Tormenta had said a moment before in the office. I sought out money, which 
never came. But from a little that God gave me through people, many have been able to benefit. The work, the boys, the cacharros came before everything else. They always had bread in their mouths. There was always something. In me, look at the luxuries I have. I don't have a single luxury. I was born into poverty. He then motions to a mural commemorating the recent 80th anniversary of Lucha Libre in this country. Whether he's going to mass or going to wrestle, he carries the same suitcase. He simply changes the things inside it. So that, dear listeners, is the story of Padre Frey Tormenta. And infinite thanks, blessings, and love to Talon for uh, suggesting and recommending this amazing story. What, what an amazing being and such a selfless being that gave literally is giving his life, his entire life, um, to these orphans and prostitutes and um, drug dealers and drug people. Um, I mean, these are the people that everybody else turns their back on. And sadly enough, as we've learned, churches do the same thing. And um, it's just amazing that he, for all of these years, has taken them in and welcomed them and has literally sacrificed his body to try to make money to support those people and those children. And again, it's a shame that the church wouldn't help out with that, that it was something that, you know, they allowed him, very nice of them, right? They allowed him to do it, but you know, he had to, to, to generate the money himself. And that's the thing we all have to keep in mind about um, being a priest is that when you are a priest, um, Part of your vows is to obey. You have to obey your bishop. You have to do, you, everything has to be cleared through your bishop when you do something that's out of the ordinary or out of the routine. So, you know, say doing that, say if you were a priest or um, you wanted to start an orphanage, you would have to go through to your bishop and at first get permission to do so. And it would have to be approved. And if it wasn't approved, then you were not permitted to do it. And unfortunately, that's just that's how you know the whole hierarchy of the Catholic Church goes. Uh, however, you feel about that, whether you approve of that or, or do not. But unfortunately, that is the the reality, or I should say, fortunately, however you look at it. But here we have, <laughs> no. A Padre Tormenta who, um, as he points to the rubber band that he always wears on his wrist, it stretches, you know. And I believe that's how um, priests should be, you know, within reason. They should be able to stretch the rules. They should be able to meet the people where they are. And again, this is just me personally speaking. I'm not speaking on behalf of any particular faith because I'm independent right now myself. So um, I'm not part of any particular church yet. So. Um, this is just me. And I, I really believe that in order for you to meet people where they are, sometimes you do have to stretch the rules. You really do. Um, you save lives that way and you save souls that way. Um, if you just go by the cookie cutter layout, uh, it's, it's not very personable. Or I should say it's not personable at all. It's very stale. It's very stagnant. It's very monotone. And, you know, people, especially youth these days, need um, more people like, uh, you know, Padre Tormenta, you know, they, ne they need somebody animated. They need somebody fun. They need somebody to uh, pique their interest, to intrigue them. Um, if you're up there just in a monotone voice saying the same thing every Sunday or every day of the week, if you're doing the, the weekday masses for those Roman Catholic priests, then, you know, you're not, you're, you're not getting, you're not getting the youth. You're not getting the younger, the younger clientele or, younger parishioners and, and we need that they need that we really need to re-examine how we do things and that's one of the great things father mike cantor is, is doing with his church is this whole uh, reformation of what faith should be in today's age with the modern technology we have and addressing um, the youth and those coming up without faith we really, really need to be there for them. And I'm not just saying this to ministers, priests, deacons, clergy. I'm saying this to everybody. We need to be there for our youth. We need to be there for our young adults 
who do not have a clue. And, you know, we, we are so quick to judge them and point at them and ridicule them. And um, but we we have to realize their history. We have to realize where they've come from and their history and their background and their culture and their conditioning. And we need to help them. We, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to help them. And they should have never been left by the wayside to fend for themselves ever. You know, but we can do this. I firmly believe this. Father Mike believes this. You know, and how do you do it? One person at a time. You know, Haven is a great example of that. And I know she won't like me saying this, but she helps every person she possibly can that comes through the door where she works. You know, she has totally embraced her job and taken customer service to such a high level that it's you're in the nosebleed sections with her, really. I mean, it, it's it's to a heavenly level. And uh, I mean, I'm not boasting or bragging or or stretching that. It's actually the honest to creator's truth that, you know, she does take every person that comes through that door um, and lovingly assist them, not only with what they personally need to purchase or what they're looking for, but she personally helps them with what they're going through. She can tell She's great at reading people. She can tell when you're having a bad day or you're going through some hard times. And she is not shy. She'll ask you, you know, are you okay? It seems like there's something wrong. And she gets, she's amazing at getting people to open up and share what's going on. And she listens. She actively listens to them, which this day is so sad that most of us don't have anyone to actually listen to us. And a lot of times that's all we need is for someone to listen when we're going through something hard and she listens to them and then she offers advice if they are asking for that or wanting that and then she just is there with love unconditional love such an amazing thing but it's something we all can do and she'll tell you that straight to your face is that you know don't put her on a pedestal because what she's doing is nothing different than ever anything anybody else can do and isn't that the truth? That is totally the truth. Talk about living like Christ, living like Jesus, you know, and that's what she's doing. And that's what we can do. And that's what we should do. One person at a time, we help those and they help others. And it's such a beautiful chain reaction, such a beautiful butterfly effect from person to person to person. Before we get to prayer request and benediction, I do have two announcements to make. The first announcement is that we have a book nook coming up this Wednesday at 12 a.m. Wednesday morning, Eastern time. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a good one. They're all good ones, aren't they? <laughs> At least we think so, don't we? The few that listen to them. Also, we now have a YouTube page for the podcast where you can uh, listen to the podcast and you can also see videos of me on uh, YouTube. So the YouTube uh, address is youtube.com at Faith and More Podcast. Again, that's youtube.com at Faith and More Podcast. And I'll definitely have a link in the show notes and description. This week's prayer requests and updates are as follows. We do have an update on Ray uh, by some miracle, of course, divine miracle. What else would there be? <laughs> by a divine miracle, Ray is now undergoing treatment for his lung cancer. Um, last week I had announced that um, he was declared inoperable, uh, but that has changed. And he is now receiving radiation treatment as well as chemotherapy. And it is very aggressive. He is uh, confined to the hospital while he's go undergoing these treatments uh, to try to save his life. So let us keep Ray, his wife, Stephanie, and children, Raymond, Kevin, Brandy, Sarah, Kate, Chelsea, and their grandchildren in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, Ariana is still in need of our prayers. She is still recovering from her surgery. She's doing really, really well. But let's please keep uh, the, the prayers going for her that that continues on. Uh, Haven uh, has had some really bad issues with her back. She's been going to the chiropractor just about every day this week. And I am happy to report that she is slowly feeling better. So let's please uh, pray for Haven uh, for her back pain and issues. 
uh, Raisa, Raisa, R-E-S-S-A, is a young woman who recently reached out to me uh, on Facebook. Um, she is a devout Roman Catholic, um, but she does not feel that, uh, she doesn't feel the love of Jesus. So let us pray to her that she does feel it. And I've assured her that regardless if we feel it or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's there, just like um, the air we breathe. Just because we don't feel the breeze uh, doesn't mean it's not there. The same applies with the Holy Trinity as well. Uh, next is uh, Father um, Seamus and his mother Anne and his two brothers. Uh, next is Bob, who has stage 2 follicular lymphoma. He's very, very tired. He gets his energy back for a few moments, but then it just dissipates. So he's got... Um, his sixth round and final round, hopefully and prayfully, uh, of chemo treatment coming up here on, I believe, the 18th and 19th. So that would be next uh, Monday and Tuesday. Well, I mean, not this coming up, but the following. So let us keep uh, praying for Bob. Um, he's doing great. And let us pray that he beats this cancer, that uh, the divine eradicates it from his body and that he regains his health and energy. Next is... Uh, my mother Elaine, I had announced uh, that she has been given some really um, heavy antibiotics to uh, combat a bacteria, a new bacteria that's in her lung. Um, and she just reported that it is working really well and she's doing better. And she revisits her uh, specialist this coming Wednesday. So let us keep Elaine in our heart, thoughts and prayers that everything goes well and that she not only continues to heal, but that she recovers fully. Um, just uh, general prayers and, and for well-being and health for Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwyn, Octavia, Clyde, Mike S. And I, by the way, I got an update from Mike S. this past week. Uh, he recently went to all of his doctors and they gave him uh, five stars across the board. So he's doing really well. So no chance in him having to have an ablation anytime soon and let us pray that that continues and that he continues to do well because Mike does so much so much for so many people and he's very active in his church and and he is such a blessing uh, not just to the people in his community but also to the world so let us keep praying for Mike S. Uh, Kathy, Michael T, Father Mike Cantor, Eddie Cantor, Emma, Jean, and we have a couple new additions. Doug is going to be losing his job um, in February. Let us pray that a new and better job presents itself to him. Uh, next is Tracy. She was uh, working with um, orphans and um, foster children and was actually doing her dream job. But then uh, something popped up on her background check from a long time ago, and they have um, put that job on hold um, until she is able to clear that up. So let us pray that this uh, blemish or misunderstanding is cleared up immediately so she can return to serving children and helping them. We definitely need more people like her. Uh, next is my sister Tanya is her husband Ron. Uh, Ron is losing his job and he's actively searching for another job but he's having issues uh, due to his age so let us pray that ron uh, finds not only a job but uh, better than he had before and also pray for tanya and her family because of course you know there's a lot of stress that goes through that when someone is is losing their job and last but certainly not least is salma s-a-l-m-a i just met salma on facebook uh, her husband passed away nine years ago and it left her in a very um, bad financial state and let us pray for her she is a very devout uh, Roman Catholic and let us pray for Salma that um, the Lord provides and continues to provide for her and um, as we all know uh, the divine does that but let us put our energies together and pray that you know she gets a little bit more than what's needed you know just to make sure she because we all know how it is. When you're just making ends meet, you never feel secure. If you have a little bit of money in the bank or a little bit of money in your pocket, you, you feel secure. So let us pray that um, Salma um, feels secure and gains the um, finances that she needs. 
in now our blessing benediction and nominee, Divi Fili Spiritus Sancti. Let us pray in the way of Blessed Father Solanus Casey by giving gratitude and thanking the Divine first. Most Great Divine, we thank you infinitely for all of our blessings, those that are seen and unseen. Thank you for blessing each and every one who listens to the show and those who don't listen to the show. Thank you for healing those in need of healing, blessing those in need of blessing, and for reassuring us that we are all your children regardless of our faith or what it is or what it isn't. Please give us each a sign to let us know that you are there, that you are here. As humans, you know, your creation, we often need uh, physical signs to reassure us. Uh, as I just mentioned in prayer requests, we have one young woman who uh, is not feeling the presence of your son. And we ask that not only she receives the blessing of feeling him in her life, but all of us. It gives us reassurance. It inspires us. It encourages us. It uplifts us. We know that you, great divine, do that already. But as humans, we need that extra oomph from time to time. And we thank you for giving that to us. In nominee, Divi, Filii, Spiritus, Sancti. We so hope and pray that you have enjoyed the show and have found everything that you are searching for in a podcast and more here with us. We now have an Amazon.com wish list for the show for anyone who would like to make an offering. A link can always be found in the show notice. Angel is always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings, past and present, in your country, society, and culture that we do not know about. But we should. Please, contact Angel and share these amazing beings so the world can learn about them. Next is prayers. We love to pray and our listeners love to pray as well. So, let us pray for you. There are two ways to do this. The first is to email angel directly at faithandmorepodcast.gmail.com. The second is through our website at faithandmorepodcast.wixited.com slash my dash site. There is a form at the bottom of the website to request prayers. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in angel's heart and prayers. Bless you. Thank you.